From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. So what seems to be the problem? Kids driving you up the wall? Getting stuck on hold for hours at a time? Everything happening at once? Can't take it anymore? Wouldn't it be nice to spend a little time in a nice rest home? Well, I can smuggle you in. What? What's that you say? Oh no, this place people try to break into, not escape from. I know the secret back entryway. Follow closely behind me. Don't worry, I've done this a million times. Stick with me as we work our way away from the noise and haste. Tommy Dorsey and his sentimentalist with Buddy Rich all want some quiet, please. In 
have been creeping about all day. A friend of mine feels a bit queer. Well, he's had no sleep for a week or two, and he's only ten miles from here. So we must be ever so, ever so quiet. Ah! Don't make a noise. It may lead to a riot. Ah! Let us Can't you hear the tick of the clock? Dickery, dickery, dickery dock. We must be ever so, ever so quiet. Order! Roy and his orchestra from 1938, Ever So Quiet. Before that, Tommy Dorsey and his 1940s sentimentalists, including Buddy Rich on the drums, claimed they all wanted some quiet, please. Now, we know you've been up to here with everything going on in your life. You see, it doesn't help that your schedule is so hectic. Go here, go there, you're spread so thin. You're at the breaking point. So we're going to attempt to sneak you into a place where you can get a nice, well-deserved rest. We have to go in the back way, since we didn't have time to get a referral. But we'll just have to go through this drainage pipe. No, don't be afraid. Yeah, sure, there's a little standing water. You can dry your socks off when we get there. John Philip Sousa will now give us some 1905 silence and fun.
those bottles quiet Can't fuse that jive on my milk diet Milkman, keep those bottles quiet Been jumping on the swing shift all night Turning out my quota all right Now I'm beat right down to the side And I got to dig myself some nice Milkman, keep those bottles quiet Now the noise of the riveter I don't mind it Cause the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it But I can't help punching with the victory crew You're making me punchy with that bottle's moo I wanna give my all if I'm gonna give it But I gotta give my shut eye if I'm gonna rivet So fill out bud with that milk barrage It's unpatriotic, it's a sabotage Milkman, stop that pretty riot cut out if you can't lullaby. Milkman, keep those bottles quiet. Been knocking out a fat tank all day, working on a bomber, okay. You blast my week with those clinks, and I got to get my 40 wings. Milkman, Keep those bottles Here, boy, let's get together on this thing. You got to keep those milk bottles quiet. I gotta get me some shut eye tonight. I've been taking so many pills. Boy, how many of those pills can you take? A sincere 1944 request for peace and quiet from Woody Herman and his orchestra. Milkman, keep those bottles quiet. Before that, John Philip Sousa's band gave us some 1905 silence and fun. Now, we just have to climb over this chain-link fence. Uh, watch out for the barbed wire. There's a, there's a spot here where I cut it. And, uh, oh good, somebody left a stone in the door to prop it open. Welcome, friends. We're ready to admit you to your private room in the Round the World Sanatorium. We'll be offering peace and quiet. Our professional staff will help you musically explore the quiet shadows of the evening hours. The dark, silent corners that contain the unspeakable rights of the inner worlds of humanity. Without further ado, we commence with 
Jack Leonard with Tommy Dorsey and his 1937 orchestra in the still of the night. Thank you. 
We just heard the 1926 Isham Jones Orchestra, At Peace with the World. And we started our quiet interlude in the still of the night with Jack Leonard and Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra in 1937. Yes, the Round the World Sanatorium is offering peace and quiet. We remind you that giving yourself some silence each day actually gives your brain a chance to rest and recuperate enhancing your cognitive functions. Buddy Clark is on hand to relate the 1934 quiet of an autumn night. He's assisted by Freddie Martin and his orchestra. Thank you. 
fading moon. Oh, but it brought the same delight, dear, as a romance in June. And while the leaves came tumbling all around, suddenly our two hearts were light. We planted love in summer, but in blossomed in the quiet of an autumn and low down. That was Paul Whiteman and his 1925 orchestra 
And before that, Buddy Clark with Freddie Martin and his orchestra gave a 1934 description of the charged and deep knowledge contained in the quiet of an autumn night. Researchers believe that engaging in some silence can actually allow brain cells to grow. The sounds of nature can give the brain a rest from the bombardment of anxieties and stresses. So next we'll pipe down long enough to listen quietly to the hush of the night. But first, here is Terry Ellen with Larry Clinton and his orchestra, My Silent 1939 Moon. Thank you. 
wandered along, crooning a song far from the throng in the hush of the night. While the twinkling little stars played peekaboo, whispering they knew our rendezvous in the hush of the night. The moments passed ever too fast, then we were parted. Why was it goodbye just when love started? Who calls you divine, whose arms entwine all that was mine? Only mine, dear, in the heart of Hush of the Night, featuring Scrappy Lambert in 1929. He was backed up by the Hal Kemp Orchestra. This was preceded by Terry Allen with Larry Clinton and his orchestra, My Silent Moon, from 1939. Now, instead of running around every night, rushing from one event to another, how about staying home and quietly enjoying a few hours of companionable silence with the other members of your household? Or just yourself, if you live alone. Jimmy Brierley and the Leo Reisman Orchestra will give some 1936 pointers on how to have just a quiet evening. Just tea with crumpets 
that's what we'll do. I can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to. Just a quiet evening alone with you. Spend a quiet evening at home, just you and I.
came a sweetie and me But now we found a new delight I mean my sweetie and me We don't go to any show Or any cabaret Till we have a wonderful time In our own little way When it comes to having fun We've got it over everyone On a quiet evening at home We play casino for a kiss What cheating in a game like this On a quiet evening at home And then we tune in for Chicago At nine or say ten Till her mom and pa go to dreamland and then Into a Morris chair we steal For Morris gets an awful deal On a quiet evening at home We read the latest evening news Then harmonize the meanest blues On a quiet evening at home No cover charge or taxi fare Nobody does the Charleston there On a quiet evening at home She often tries to make a biscuit And after it's done Then I have to risk it To keep up the fun I eat it and she smiles with glee by carbonate Be true to me on a quiet evening at home Of course the sweetest part of all Is saying goodnight in the hall On a quiet evening at home I shut the door, go out and then I stop and go right back again On a quiet evening at home Her papa still is rocked in slumber That's lucky for us Cause we've got a number Of things to discuss We never fight, we're never blue We've more important things to do On a quiet evening a team of experts on the art of having a quiet evening at home. That was Chick Endor on a quiet 1926 evening at home. He was preceded by Artie Wayne with the Andy Phillips Orchestra. Let's spend a quiet 1947 evening at home. And the triumvirate of taciturnity was touched off by Jimmy Brierly with the Leo Reisman Orchestra, enjoying just a quiet 1936 evening. You are listening to WSHDLP Esport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. Now we've touched on the importance of spending some quiet time each day, either with those we are close to or alone in nature. And here at the sanatorium, you'll be requested to keep your trap shut. Take your meals in silence and keep conversation to a minimum. Here to show the way is Jose Luis Monero with the Mendez Orchestra, the 1945 Cayando Cayando. Shh, quiet! 
callando, callando, mamá, será mejor. Callando, callando, mamá, mi nuevo sol. Del laberinto de ayer tuvo culpa su madrina que salió de la cocina y lo echó todo a perder. Qué lengua más endiabla cuando condena a la gente ni el diablo le pega el diente cuando empieza a calumniar. Callando, callando, mamá, será mejor. Callando, callando, mamá, mi nuevo sol, pero un día sin pensar te presento a Severino que de guapo lo conocen en toda la vecindad. La madrina que lo vio acercarse al bañadero, cogió el perrillo más luego, invitándole a pelear. Saludando a la mujer con astucia se ferido, todo esperaba impaciente que lo invitara a comer. Callando, callando, mamá, será mejor. Callando, callando, mamá, mi nuevo sol. Que en efecto sucedió que el marido de la vieja cansado de tanta pega a su casa regresó. Guapo le pidió casarse con la sobrina. Van con el osaco, el viejo con el perrillo, quitándole los galones al temible seferino. Shout hey hey. What did you say? I didn't say nothing. What did you say? I didn't say nothing. What did you say? I didn't say nothing, but they said I should have kept my big mouth shut. Always tried to do what's right. I never tried to pick a fight. Some fellas got fellas started shouting hooray. Then looked around at me and hollered, what did you say? What did you say? I didn't say nothing, but I guess I should have kept my big mouth shut. <laughs>
joint was rocking. The music kept a punkin' wasn't stopping. It had the cats jumping till the folks downstairs on the floor below said, Quiet that noise or you'll have to go. What did you say? I didn't say nothing. What did you say? I didn't say nothing. What did you say? I didn't say nothing, but I guess I should have kept my big mouth shut. What did you do? I didn't do nothing. What did you say? I didn't say nothing, but I heard a loud knock on the kitchen door, and I hollered, who's there? That's all I know. Well, what did you do? I didn't do nothing. What you gonna do? Ain't gonna do nothing but keep my big mouth That was Bull Moose Jackson in his 1947 orchestra, stressing the importance of keeping your big mouth shut. Before that, Jose Luis Monero con Mendes Orchestra also requested silence in Spanish, callando, callando, shh, quiet. All part of the program of peace and quietude recommended by the professional staff of the Round the World Sanatorium. Ingredients for better sleep creativity, lower stress, and even a healthier heart, and completely free and entailing no obligation. Next, the Colonial Club Orchestra of 1926 will reassure us into a peaceful and nourishing rest with Hushabai.
That, dear friends, was a song from 1939, Denmark. There is nothing in the world so quiet as snow. We heard Axel Schutz with Hermann Koppel at the piano. Before that, the 1926 Colonial Club Orchestra gave us Hashabai. And this draws a curtain of silence over the musical portion of our show today. We experience an hour of peace and quiet. We snuck into that haven of rest, the Round the World Sanatorium, where we learned about the importance of getting outside in the stillness of nature, spending a quiet evening at home, and that just a few minutes of silence each day grows brain cells. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. Now, sit quietly gripping the arms of your chair as we provide a 1949 episode of Quiet, Please, entitled Northern Lights. So let's listen. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Broadcasting Company presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for today is called Northern Light. This is a story about the temporal displacement of mass. It is also a story about teleportation. Do you know what those terms mean? 
And I didn't think you did, but you stay right where you are, my charming friend, and you're quite likely to find out. You just stay right there and listen. I'll tell you everything you want to know. And maybe... Well, maybe a couple of things you're not terribly anxious to know. Ever see the Northern Lights? Aurora Borealis is the right name. You don't see them very often below the 50th parallel of latitude in this country, but up in northern Minnesota, in Canada, upper New York, places like that. They're quite common of a winter night. If you've seen them, you know what they look like. If you haven't, there's no use by trying to describe them. Sometimes they fill a whole northern sky with waves of color, like a fire burning way beyond the horizon. Sometimes they're just long streamers of fire filling up the whole sky. And another time they look like gigantic, fringed curtains of pure light, swaying as if some cold cosmic breeze plucked at them, way far off there to the north. And you can hear them too sometimes. Well, maybe not exactly hear them, but, but there's a sound, a humming, a, a crackling somewhere inside your head. And there are times when you'd swear it's a voice talking to you talking in some kind of strange language you can almost understand, filling your whole being with a kind of desperate, inescapable terror. You know what I mean? At night, in the cold night, voices talking and saying things to you that you can almost understand, filling the night sky with signs and portents of of inescapable terror. And nobody, nobody in the whole world knows what they are, nobody in this world at least, except me. And after I get done talking to you, you'll know too. And you won't be happy. Let me show you something now. This is from a recording I made on... Uh, Let's see, December 13th, 1948, a little more than a month and a half ago. I started the recorder while Norman and I were just about finished with our work that afternoon here in the laboratory. I just set the microphone on top of the file cabinet there and turned on the machine. Listen, I'm going to play it back for you. The quality isn't so very good, but you can recognize my voice and, and Norman's, I think. Here. Well, I got the call. Move on now, I guess. Was you test it? How can I test it when I say I just got to rewound? Hurry up. It's almost 6 o'clock. Yeah. Well, it's dark and I didn't realize the time. Hurry up. I'm hurrying. Um, be a display tonight, you suppose? How do I know? Been a display the last three nights. Well, that was a dinger last night, wasn't it? Yeah, the machine wasn't ready. Hey, listen, now, do you think you can do better than I can? Ouch! What's the matter? Oh, I stuck my finger. Where'd you... Where'd you put the copper sulfate? Um, all right, up above the sink. Huh? Uh, I got it. What are you doing? Testing the coil. How's it? Oh, it looks okay. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, it's okay. I'll be right with you. Uh, hook it up. What do you understand? Try my cigarette lighter. It won't work anyway. I'll, I won't miss it if we don't get it back. I don't know how the thing will work when the northern lights aren't shining. Well, maybe they are shining. Turn off the room lights. Let's see. All right. Pretty early, are you? Hmm. What's the matter? Hey, look. Hmm. 
heard him there. Oh, boy, that's fine. The whole sky. Look, blue and yellow. Yeah, I, I never saw those long fringes before. They were the same. Oh, Fred, you turn on the recorder? Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's turning over. Let's see. <clears throat> now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of their party. I'll leave it alone. Uh, you about ready now? Well, it's funny about the Aurora. Northern Lights? Listen to this part closely, friend. Oh, I don't know. Remember what I told you. You can almost hear the darn things. Uh, not hear them, I mean, but it's, uh, it's kind of like somebody talking to you in a language you can, you can almost understand. I don't know. I mean, do you ever notice it? Sure. High frequencies, I guess. Something. Awful lot we don't understand. Look, uh, you go over there at the recorder and talk into the mic. Talk what? Well, just describe what happens for the record. I know I'm not, sir. I know you're not, but... Just say what you see so we'll have an accurate record. Okay. Now? Go ahead. <clears throat> this is an experiment in the temporal displacement of a solid object. Uh, in other words, the first actual demonstration of a time machine. If it works. It'll work all right. Go on. Paul is now placing his old beat-up cigarette lighter on the stage of the hypercutambulator. And he is now setting the microchronometer to determine how far into the future he's going to send the lighter. Well, how far, Paul? Uh, ten seconds. Ten seconds. Uh, at, at the end of that time, if our calculations are correct, and we hope they are, the cigarette lighter will reappear. In that period of time, it will have been into the future. Uh, we could send it farther into the future if we wanted to, I guess, but... We'd just have to wait that much longer for time to catch up with it and make it reappear. But 10 seconds, well, I mean, uh, we can prove our point by saying it 10 seconds into the future just as well as 10 years ahead, and this way we don't have to wait so long. Hey, how am I doing, Paul? I go into your commercial. When Paul presses the little button, the cigarette lighter will turn to nothing. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not right. It'll be here, but it'll be ten now, seconds Now, listen away. closely, please. Yeah. Well, now, uh, going to Mr. Paul McGilligot, a famous mad scientist, is about to press the big old button and send his lighter into the future. You ready, Paul? Here we go. Stand by. My golly, it is gone. It just disappeared. Bang, like that. Hold your watch up close to the mic, Paul. So it'll record. Yeah. Um, there isn't a sign of the lighter. Uh, the little stage on which Paul placed it is empty, and it should uh, appear again in, in just a second if it really did work. Three, two, one. It's back! It's back, Lord! It worked! We made it! Oh, man, let's, let's see if it's all right. Oh, Jesus! Oh, now what? Oh, the lighter. Oh, it's cold, Paul. Ooh, here, here, here. Take it, take it, Paul. Take it. Look, freezing cold. <laughs> what do you know? Look, the darn thing's like a piece of ice. Now, where the dickens do you suppose it's been in that ten seconds? No, wait, friend. No, it, That's it not the right. payoff yet. That all, only in the future. Listen. And time's caught up with it. It's, it's back, but... Hey, Paul, look. Where did that come from? What? There on the stage where the lighter was. Where'd that come from? In the middle of winter. What? What is it? It's a caterpillar, Paul. A brown and black caterpillar. Well, where do you suppose it came from? Well, it wasn't there. Was I'll, I'll tell you where it came from, Paul. What? It came from the same place where the cigarette lighter went. 
What are you talking about? Well, feel it, Paul. Feel its fur. See? It's as cold as ice, too. A caterpillar. A little brown and black caterpillar, the kind they call woolly bears. You know, larva of the tiger moth, the I see Isabella. In the dead of winter and as cold as ice. Where did it come from? Huh? You want to know. Incidentally, you know, the old-timers say that the woolly bear caterpillar is a weather prophet. If the brown bands on his fur are narrow, there's a severe winter ahead. If they're wide, it's going to be a mild winter. Yeah, maybe. This one, you could hardly see the brown bands. Tough weather ahead, that's what the old-timers would say. But where'd she come from? She wasn't there when we put the cigarette lighter on the stage. When time caught up again, there she was. She? Sure, Isabella. I see her, Isabella. I told you, remember? Well, she was wiggling happily when she arrived from somewhere in the future. But as she warmed up, she seemed to go into a trance, almost a, a death-like trance. So Norman said, put her in the deep freeze. Maybe she'll come to again in the cold. So we put her in the deep freeze. And in half an hour, when we looked in at her, she was wiggling happily. At ten degrees below zero, Fred. Now, can you tie that? My goodness, she should have been frozen solid. Well, nothing special happened for a couple of days. That, you remember, was a month and a half ago, December 13th, 1948. Where were you on the night of December 18th? Uh, Saturday night, a week before Christmas. I'd been Christmas shopping in the afternoon, I remember. I came back to the laboratory to check up on some stuff. And Norman was there... Fiddling with things. Hi, Norm, I said. How's Isabella? You know something funny, Paul? What's the matter with you? Who, me? You look so pale. You sick? Eat something? Disagreed with you? Paul, Isabella's singing. Singing what? Uh, Isabella's singing? <laughs> You're dotty. She's singing. The caterpillar's singing. Not... Tap dancing, I hope. I'm not kidding you. Oh, cut it out. Open the deep freeze and listen. You've been at the C2H50H? I haven't had a drink since Thursday night. Well, now, what? Open you... the deep freeze and listen. No kidding? No kidding. Well, we we don't know where she came from. I won't be surprised at anything. Hello, Isabella. Hey, don't do that. What's the matter? Afraid she'll answer me back? Well, I don't know what. <laughs> Hello, Isabella. I hear you singing. I told you. I don't hear anything. Now, listen, Paul. I haven't lost my button. I've been hearing it all afternoon. I couldn't figure out what was doing it, and then I noticed it was louder alongside the deep freeze here. So I opened it up and stuck my head inside, and it was coming from her. Yeah. What does it sound like, Norm? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like... Uh, a E I A E I? Didn't she say A E I O U and sometimes W and Y? Now don't rid me. I tell you, I heard it. <laughs> I think you better take a Christmas vacation, Norm. I'm not. I know, kid. I know. But listen, we've been playing around with some pretty deep cosmic secrets, you and me. We've managed temporal displacement, which nobody in the world has ever done. See, maybe we both need a rest. You know what I think, Paul? What? I think we've managed teleportation, too. And we don't know it. Teleportation? 
You mean like Charles Ford talks about? I mean transporting tangible objects from one place to another without any mechanical means. Electronically? I don't know, Paul. All I know is that that cigarette lighter was someplace where it was awful cold. And it wasn't cold here in this room. Well... And where did that caterpillar come from? I don't know. It came from wherever that cigarette lighter went, Paul. But where? I don't know. Somewhere. And you know what? I'm going to find out where it came from. You are? And how, may I ask you? I'm going to modify this gadget of ours, this hypercucambulator, so that it'll carry a man. And then, my dear boss, I'm going to sit down in it and have you send me out there somewhere in time and space and come back and tell you all about it. That's all for tonight, bud. What? Come on, I'll take you out and buy you a drink. I'm not fooling, Paul. Okay, okay, you're not fooling, Norm. Get your hat and coat and come on. <laughs> I prescribe hot buttered rum. Well... Turn off the lights. Will you listen to me for Turn a minute? Turn off the lights. I want hot buttered rum. Okay, okay. Gosh, look out of that window. The northern lights. Oh, they're really bright tonight. They sure are. Look how they pulse. Up, down. Up, down. Norm. Up, front. Look at the deep freeze there in the dark. What about? You see it? Light, Paul. Light. It's a... It's... I see it, Norm. It's right in step with the northern lights. And the same colors. Red, red. Blue, blue. Up, down. Up, Coming down. from the deep freeze where our little friend down. Isabella was singing to you. Now, what hey, do you... Paul, listen. I don't... Listen. endlessly repeating A-E-I-O-U, the vowel sounds of our speech, and watching the light that pulsed up from the deep freeze in perfect rhythm with the flickering of the northern lights we watched through the window. And we thought long, long thoughts that I, I don't remember any too clearly now. I do know we both of us thought of ways to perfect our little mechanism, our time machine. Our machine that brought back a little cold brown and black caterpillar from somewhere. When it was morning, and the lights had faded from the northern skies, we found that our machine was very different. The stage where we found the caterpillar was larger now. I had only a vague recollection of what had happened in the night. I said to Norm, Norman, I said, what did we do last night? I don't know for sure, Paul. Did we... Rebuild that thing? Make it larger? I don't know. I... It do I mean, I think I dreamed I was working on it. I think I hit my finger with a hammer. I see. Hmm. Thumb's all bruised. Certainly looks it. Nobody could have gotten in here. The door's locked. The machine's certainly different. This coil, I think. Look. It's rewound different. Did I do that? My head hurts. Mine, too. I don't get it. I don't either. I wish I could. Listen, Norm. What? Maybe we did change it. But I... 
Well, how could we have done all that by ourselves? I've got an idea. What? Why, maybe Isabella helped us. The caterpillar? Oh, let's you're... see, shall we? Open the deep freeze. Well, I opened it. It was empty. There wasn't any brown and black caterpillar in the deep freeze. We took a flashlight and looked over every inch of it. We stood there and looked at each other. For a whole minute. Foreman said, well. I just shook my head. We went over and sat down. All of a sudden I said, I found her, Norman. And there she was. There was little Isabella the caterpillar crumpled up stone dead on the floor of the laboratory. Now, you know, caterpillars have little tiny paws. And one of Isabella's paws was the end of a long piece of wire that ran up to the generator coil. Well, how did she get out? And I said the thing couldn't be opened from the inside. I said it was fastened down tight when I took the lid off just now. But she did get out. Maybe. Maybe she did help us, Norm, I said. And he just sat there and stared at me. And I got up and put on my overcoat. Where are you going? Where are you going, Paul? I said, I'm going to find out something, Norman. Where I'm going, it's cold, I said. I know that, and I'm going to find out what's been going on and where that caterpillar came from. Norm goggled at me. I stepped on the stage of the machine that was to take me away somewhere in time and space. I said, Norm, turn it on. over and touched the switch. He didn't say a word. And I braced myself. I nodded at him. Go ahead, I said. And he pressed the switch. And nothing happened at all. Nothing. Why? I know, Paul, I know. It's daylight. And there aren't any northern lights. just as well. I had a chance to think about it a little, and I realized that just an overcoat wouldn't do me any good where I might be going. And so when it was dark night again and northern lights were flickering and dancing in the sky, I put on a high-altitude aviator suit that had its own source of heat supply. Norman shook his head as I got back on the stage, nodded for him to press the switch. dark it can get. And I was standing on an immense plain that stretched so far, so far into the distance, a plain of snow and eternal ice. A dead, cold, white world with the blackest sky above me. And the northern lights reached from horizon to horizon. Even through the high-altitude suit, I could feel a biting cold. And I was afraid, shivering, abjectly afraid. The streamers of the northern lights reached down toward me and wrapped about me. I heard the sound of voices screaming into my mind. I, I could understand them. I wished hardly I'd never played around with cosmic forces. I yelled inside the heavy helmet. I yelled, Norman! Norman, bring me back! And there was nobody to hear me. No, I don't know where I was. Another planet? Maybe the North Pole? 
Maybe the lights were all around me. Maybe that's where it was, but... It was the most terrible, awful, cold, lonely place you could imagine in a hundred years. The lights, the flickering, living lights crawled over me and beat at me. I could almost understand what they were saying. And then, the crash. The sudden blackness. I was standing again in the laboratory. I'd left only a few short seconds ago, and Norman was tearing at the fastenings of my suit and beating at me with both hands. I wondered what in the world he was doing until I got the helmet off. He was rushing caterpillars off me. Thousands of cold, freezing cold, brown and black Isabella caterpillars. I was in bed for a week or more. I don't know how long. Wherever it was I'd been, I'd nearly frozen to death in those short seconds. And at last, I was able to come back to the laboratory. I sat there that night with Norman. And outside the windows, the northern lights were brighter than they'd ever been before. Purple, green, yellow, black lights even. And there was a new rhythm tonight. A kind of code. Almost words. Thoughts. Not quite formed and yet curiously disturbing. Norman, though, didn't seem to be as disturbed as I was. He just sat quietly and looked at me. Where did those caterpillars come from, Paul? I don't know. Where I was, that's all I know. Did you... Did they attack you? Or... I don't know. They came from the lights. The lights? The northern lights. Where are they, Norman? The caterpillars? Yes. Where are they? In the deep freeze. Where Isabella was. Poor Isabella. What's the matter with you, Paul? I'm listening. Listening to what? Don't you hear them? I don't hear anything. Don't you? I don't hear anything. Well, listen. Listen. I don't hear anything. Turn on the recording machine. I want to see if we could pick up their voices. There isn't anything. Turn it on. Turn it on. I want a recording. Quick. Quick, Norman. They're talking to us. Listen, friend. I want to play you another recording. This is what came out of our tape recorder that night when I was listening to the voices. And Norman couldn't hear anything. Just listen. I still don't hear anything, Paul. Be still, listen. I tell you, I... Listen. What's that? Look at the deep trees. The top's coming open. Look at the light around it, Paul. Be quiet. Watch. How did they... Good Lord, look. The caterpillars are coming out, Paul. Look at them. There's millions of them. Be still, Norman. But, 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 Paul, your voice... Be still, I said. What's the matter with your voice? We want to talk to you. You what? You you said we. Why, of course, Norman. We. Who for the... It is Paul's voice, Norman. Paul's voice. Voice. But it is not Paul speaking. Listen. We speak to you. Paul! Not Paul. We, the people of the lights. We from the cold. We are speaking to you with Paul's voice. I tell you that... Paul's voice will tell you what to do when the time comes, Norman. We go to the machine now. Paul's mind is ours for a little time now. 
We go to the machine, the machine that brought us to your world from the world of the lights. Who are you? Who the people of the lights to take over this world of yours. Only this world of yours is so hot, we must have the cold world, and we know how to make it cold. What's the matter, Paul? Paul! So, so hot. No, no. Wait, Norman, turn on the machine. Send us to places in your world. No, our world. Hurry, so hot. Hurry, so hot. Paul, hurry, hurry. Turn on the machine. <laughs> the end of the recording. No, I don't know. I don't have any recollection of it at all. But the recording's there, isn't it? That must be what happened. Anyway, when I woke up, Norman was gone, and there were no caterpillars in the place here. And our machine, our machine that took people and things away into time and space, was wrecked. I don't know what became of you heard what they said about my voice. They're going to take over this world and make it a cold world, like the one they came from. Wherever that is, and wherever they went. No, I don't know where they went, where the machine sent them. I do have ideas. Yes. Are you cold? It's freezing in here. And just for example, uh, you read the papers, look at the newsreels. Did you see the pictures of the snow in Los Angeles? In subtropical Los Angeles, where it hasn't snowed for so many, many years. I wondered about it, too. I wonder if anybody saw any brown and black woolly bear caterpillars in Los Angeles. Larva of the tiger moth I see, Isabella. directed by Willis Cooper. The man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And my laboratory assistant, Norman, was played by Dan Sutter. The voices of Isabella and her friends was that of Cecil Roy. As usual, music for Quiet, Please is played by Albert Berman. I am quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We have just heard a 1949 episode of Quiet, Please, entitled Northern Lights. Now, stay tuned for a 1956 episode of Suspense, Quiet Night. And now, tonight's presentation of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Tonight, we bring you the story of three convicts on a road gang in Florida who planned the perfect escape through the Everglades. We call it Quiet Night. So now, starring Stacy Harris, here is tonight's suspense play, Quiet Night.
We listened for it every night, right after lights out. Then it'd be there. Passing over us, headed across the Everglades toward Miami. For a moment, it was like having somebody come and see you on visitor's day. Only when you're on a road gang, you don't get no visitors. There were 80 of us in that camp on the edge of the mangrove swamp. Every night, we'd quiet down and listen to that airplane. Wondering about the people up there, where they'd been, where they were going, and wishing we were going with them. Then it'd be gone. But I'd feel good just knowing other people would hear it. People across the swamp over in Lakeland. They'd hear it about six minutes after we did. George. George Upshaw, wake up. George. Oh, Mother. Honestly, George, if you're so all fired sleepy, why don't you take your clothes off and go to bed? I can't yet. Have them checked to jail. Seems to me that'll be Bert's job. That's what a deputy's for, isn't it? Keep the sheriff from running himself to death? Bert does his share. When? If he wasn't your nephew, he'd starve to death. Hand me my hat, Mother. George, you know what Doc Lang told you. You gotta start taking it easy. I will, I will. So long. George? Why? Remember how you used to kiss me whenever you left the house? Well, we were younger then, Mother. People our age don't... Never mind. Go on. What's eating you, Martha? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it was here in the plane coming over from Havana. Remember when we took it home from our vacation? That was nine years ago. They'd have a new plane by now. We haven't had so much fun since. We ought to get away for a few days. Maybe go to St. Petersburg and just sit on the benches for a spell. We will one of these days. One of these days. Well, if you're going to jail, hurry up about it so you can get home and get your rest. It took the plane less than four minutes to cover the 12 miles between the sheriff's farm and the parking lot next to the county courthouse. Lousy, stinking mosquitoes. Want to put the wind up? No. No, it's too hot. Bert, we ought to get out of here. Can't, honey. I'm on duty. I don't mean tonight. I mean get away from Lakeland for good. Where are you figuring on going? Oh, up to Jacksonville, over to New Orleans. Nah. Wouldn't work. Now, what makes you talk like that? You? Me? If you didn't settle down. I wouldn't do what your husband did, but I wouldn't stay around you for two seconds. Honey, I never loved Harry. And you shouldn't have married him. I had to. I hated my folks. Harry got me away from them. How old were you? Almost 17. But I wrote Harry today. Oh? I told him I wanted a divorce so I could marry somebody else. You will marry me, won't you? (laughs) I'd like to see somebody try to stop me. The night the plane didn't come over was the night that 
Harry showed Fats and me the letter. We figured the plane was late, held back by the wind or something, so we waited, listening. And while we waited, Harry had me read his letter. You through, Joe? Yeah. What'd you think? It's tough. Let me read it, Harry. Later, Fats. Listen to this, Joe. He's a wonderful man. I'm sure he'll treat me good. How do you like that? It's tough, Harry. Well, what'd you expect, Harry? No woman can wait ten Why, years. Why, you fuzzy Quiet, little... you guys. Listen. Did you hear it, Jeffers? Well, uh, I thought I did. I, I guess not. She sure turned out to be an ever-loving wife, didn't she? Makes me wonder if I did right killing Red Simmons. Maybe it should have been her. But you could still do it, Harry. We get enough money, we're making a break. Ain't that right, Joe? Fats, I told you before, don't talk about it, huh? <laughs> We'd sure surprise her. Any of you guys got the makings? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Just don't forget where you got them, huh? Thanks. Hey, uh, hey, Harry. Yeah? You know that picture you got of her? You, you know, the one where she's uh, wearing shorts? Yeah. Well, uh, I was just thinking... Hey, you don't want it no more now. Why don't you, why don't you give it to me, huh? Okay, Harry? What would you do with it, Fats? Oh, nothing. <laughs> Just I ain't got no family, and I, I could sort of make like she's kinfolk. You know what I mean, Harry? I know what you mean. Well? No. Nah. You guys, you, you ain't got no feeling. Here's your tobacco, Joe. Thanks. That's okay, Jeffers. Joe... That plane ever been late before? Not since I've been here. And I'm getting nervous. Where do you suppose it's at? Alice Michael, stewardess, Miami. John D. Erickson, Atlanta. Martha, why don't you turn that thing off? Do they know what went down yet? One of the CAA men spotted it about 30 miles this side of Sable Light, right in the middle of that cypress swamp. How are you going to get to it? Walk. Only way we can. George! Now, Martha, don't worry. Bert's going with me. We'll have plenty of help. From where? Who's going to help? We're taking four or five trustees from that road gang. They're closer to it than anybody else. They going to help you walk, Joe? No, Martha. You know what Doc Lang said? You aren't to exert yourself. I'll be all right. I swear I don't understand why it's your place to go at all. Martha, as long as I'm the sheriff of this county, it's my job. When will you be back? I don't know. It depends on how long it takes us to get in there. Yes, there's Bert with the truck. <laughs> Bye, hon. Be careful, Joe. I will. Before we'd finished our grits, we'd heard what had happened to the plane. By 9.30, we were sitting in the back of the county sheriff's truck, bumping over an oyster shell road headed west toward the Gulf. The sheriff and his deputy had picked Harry, Jeffers, Fats, and me because we knew the swamps. And because we were trustees. After about half an hour, they stopped the truck. We piled out. Sit on. All right, you man. All right, knock it off. Sheriff won't say something. From now on, we'll walk, and as fast as we can. 
When we reach the plane, we'll clear the trees and brush so a helicopter can get in to carry out the bodies. Any question? Sheriff, how far is that plane from here? About ten miles southeast. Something bothering you, mister? Mm, just thinking. Ten miles of swamp can be a long way. Sheriff, how we go about finding it? The plane from Lakeland will drop a smoke part on it in about five hours. It'll burn long enough to guide us in. Anything else? Well, what are we going to clear those trees out with? There's a cross cut and a handsaw and an axe in the truck. You want to say something, Bud? Yeah. I'm not turning loose this shotgun at no time. First man even looks like he's thinking about a break gets it right in the gut. All right, grab the saw. Hey, you, fat boy. Oh, yes, sir. You towed the axe. We're off some of that blubber. Yes, a little rough on them, weren't you, Bert? They are trusties. Maybe three of them. I ain't seen their records. But not Harry Bryant. You know what he did. Yeah, a lot of men might have done the same thing. We've never been in that kind of situation. Well, I tell you this. A road boss can call him a trusty all he wants. It ain't gonna cut no ice with me. started then, single file, with the sheriff leading and the deputy behind us, like he thought we'd be crazy enough to run. <laughs> Even if we did get clean away, where'd we go without money? We really moved along until we hit swamp. Then every step we took, our boots went in up to our ankles. Getting our feet free, out in front of us again was like walking up a hill. Joe. Yeah. Look at the sheriff. What about him? He's gonna drop most any time. He's sick, Joe. Gone, sheriff. Drop. Drop, sheriff. Gone. Drop. Drop. Uh, drop. Uh, what happened? Right here, sheriff. Here, take a break, you men. Fall out. Fats. Harry. And your back's up against this tree. Oh. Sheriff's got the deputy worried. Look how he's unloosening his collar for him. Yeah. Hey, any you guys hungry yet? No. Uh, I think I'll eat one of them sandwiches. Joe, hmm? you've been thinking about that plane? No, I don't like to think about things like that. I just hope I can forget them. I've been thinking about it, Harry. You know, every night when he used to come over, I... I sort of imagined I was on it. And the stewardess was being nice to me, bringing me my food and all. <laughs> Boy, she was sure pretty. I mean, at least I oh, thought Shut she up, Fat. Stop talking about it, will you? Joe, that uh, plane was carrying lots of things besides people. Maybe. No. No, maybe. That was a big plane. Four motors. A plane like that carries mail, packages... Sometimes real valuable stuff like uh, money being shipped from one bank to another. Yeah, 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 Harry. And uh, what's been holding us up? Money. It's no good, Harry. You crazy? 
Why not? How are we going to keep the sheriff or the deputy from seeing us? Well, there are four of us. They can't watch all of us at the same time. Come on, Joe. It's what we've been waiting for, ain't it? Tell him it's what we've been waiting for, Harry. He knows it. I don't need to tell him. Well, I guess we got nothing to lose. <laughs> okay, Harry, okay. Knock it off, comes the deputy. You. What's your name? Joseph McGuire. What are you doing? Eight to ten, armed robbery, second offense. You? Uh, Henry Fats Carver. Offense? Oh, sir, it was a misunderstanding. I know you're innocent. Yes, sir. I'm sure glad... Never mind, never mind. All right, I know you, Harry. You? Mm. What's your name? Paul Jeffers, sir. Offense? Burglary, first offense. You think you can find your way back to the truck? Why, yes, sir, I think so. All right. Go on over to the sheriff. He's sick. Mm-hmm. You're taking him back, and don't you rush. Do it easy, yeah? Yes, sir. The rest of us are going on. Fats, you're going to lead. Well, how I know which way to go, sir? I got the compass now, I'll tell you. Joe, you follow Fats. And Harry, you and me, we'll bring up the rear. <laughs> started again. But there are only four of us now. Fats, Harry, me, and the deputy. Three of us against one of him. We didn't say anything. We didn't need to. But we were waiting. Waiting for that one moment when he'd take his hands off that shotgun. And then it came. Okay. Okay, Fats, hold it up. Do you men see smoke rising off ahead? Oh, not yet. Hey, Mr. Deputy, can't somebody else carry this here act? No. Joe. Yeah, Harry. Uh, sir, uh, are you sure we're headed in the right direction? I'm sure. He's not so sure. Look at him, Joe. Yeah, I know. He's going to reach in his pocket for that compass. Fats. There he goes. Now, Fats. Now! The gun, Harry! Get the gun! But Harry didn't need the shotgun. Fats had used the axe. I picked up the compass and we turned away to the southeast. Something bothering you, Joe? Huh? Well, I don't know. I, I was just thinking. About what's at the plane? Oh, I was thinking about that deputy. Don't feel bad about him. He was itching to use this here shotgun on us. Yeah, that's right. I just don't know. You suppose he had a family? Him? <laughs> Who'd marry something like him? Hey, 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 you guys, What's hey! The What's the matter? Look, look at it! Wait, what? It's smoke, blank smoke. It's the plane! Come on, come on, it's the plane, come on! <laughs> You are listening to Quiet Night, tonight's presentation in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense.
a good time tomorrow during the day. Don't miss the goings-on when it's Arthur Godfrey time. Remember, every Monday through Friday, you can join those gifted fun makers over most of these same stations. And now we bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Stacy Harris, starring in tonight's production, Quiet Night, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. We were heading for that thin stream of black smoke rising out of the swamp that marked the position of the fallen plane. Ahead of us in a straight line about 200 yards long and 50 wide, the tops of the trees have been neatly sheared off by the wings. And then we saw it. Parts of the plane were scattered about in the mud as far as we could see. The wings had burned, but nothing else. The cabin was in two sections, with the larger section dead ahead of us. We climbed up into it. Joe, you ever been in a plane like this? Once? Yeah, when? When I was trying to get out of the country. You know where they'd keep mail and stuff like that? I think so. I think it'll be up front, mm-hmm. about where the pilot sits. Well, maybe in here somewhere, huh? Yeah, I think so. Let, let's take a look at it. Watch your head, Joe. All right. Boy, I haven't seen anything this bad since the Navy. You in the Navy? For you. Just for you. Well, they wouldn't take me. I got a bad knee. I tried to get in, but on account of this bad knee of mine, they just didn't Here it is, me. Harry. Come on, let's get it out of here. Okay. Come on, let's grab a hold of one of these here bags. Boy, this thing's... Listen. It's a helicopter. Come on. Oh. What about this mailbag? Get it later. Come on. Grab the axe, Fats. Hurry over here. Right. Now, Fats, get busy chopping on that tree. Go on. All right. Come on, Harry. Where is he? Can you see him? No, not yet. The tree's too thick. He's going to have to get right over us. Here he comes. Now, act natural. Cut out the chopping, Fats, and smile. Wave to him. That's it. Now, I'll give you the expense. Smile. Hi. Hi there. Hi think he's looking for that deputy? I hope not. What are we so worried about? He can't land. Nobody can use that radio of his. If he thinks something's wrong, they'll come after us before we get a chance to get out of the swamp. Here he comes again. Well, he's planning on us making a clearing so he can land. He's got a long wait. How much out of that mailbag, Joe? 482. Not bad. Well, why don't we look in that other part? Maybe we'll find some more stuff. In a minute, Fats. Altogether, we got about 1,500. That'll get us to Cuba. From there, we can work our way down to South America. When do you think we'll get there, Harry? A mm, couple of weeks, Fats. We can rent a boat in Lakeland. A friend of mine's got one. Now, let's providing we get across to Lakeland tonight. Yeah. How far is Lakeland from here? Mm. 15, 20 miles. I'm tired. How come we got to make it all in one night? Because that helicopter will be back in the morning, and when there's no place for him to land, he's going to know what's happened. Oh. 
We better leave in about an hour. Hey, we got any more of them sandwiches left? Nah, nothing. You're so hungry, Fats. Why don't you take a look in the galley? You know what? The galley. Oh, over there. In the uh, tail section. The stewardess usually keeps the food back in there. Okay, I'll go take a look. Cigarette, Joe? No. Uh, Tailor-made? I don't want one, Harry. Okay. Oh, here. Uh, let me give you your you share. You keep it. What? Keep it, I said. I don't want it. What's the matter with you? I don't know. I'm getting fed up with everything. Us, this place, fats, you, everything. Nah, you'll feel better when we get on that boat to Cuba. Hey, hey, you guys. Now what? Yeah? Come here, quick. What? What is it? Take a look in here. Look. There's a young kid. Got her. Let me see. This kid's alive. You crazy. How could he be? I don't know, but look at him. Probably so messed up inside, he won't live long. Well, you can't tell. Kids like this are strong. They take a lot, bounce back hard. What you reckon we should do about him? Nothing. Just just walk away from him, huh? Just forget he's here? Well, what else can we do? Are you a doctor? Or am I? You don't look like he's hurt so bad, he ain't bleeding. If we're going to get to Lakeland before morning, we can't fool around with him. Pats, Take this rag outside, dip it in some water, will you? So you put a cloth on his head. What are you, Joe? Some kind of healer? You got a magic cloth? Go on, cloth? Fats, do it, huh? Come on, Harry, help me straighten him out. Come on! Take it easy. Hand me that blanket behind you. Okay. Joe. I'm not leaving this kid, Harry. What? I told you how I felt about things before. I'm fed up. I would have gone, but not... Well, I can't now. But, Joe, you're the one that's been talking. Escape. You stood by while we killed the deputy. All right. Well, you watch. All right. Now, all of a sudden, you get religion. Why? This kid, that's why. This kid dies, he'd be just the same as if he were with barrels of that shotgun right in his face and pulled the trigger. Now, how do you figure that? Because if that helicopter had a place to land, he'd be in a hospital by now. That's how. Hey, guys. Sun's starting to go down. Give me that rag. Hey, maybe I can help, Joe. Let me see his Get eyes. out of here, will you? Now, go on, both of you. Get out. I'll give you half an hour. Then you're coming with us. And, Joe... What is it? Don't you worry about it. That kid will be dead by then. But the kid didn't die. And in a few minutes, his breathing came easier, like he knew he wasn't alone anymore. I looked through his clothes for some kind of identification, but there wasn't any, not even his flight ticket stub or baggage check. He'd been traveling with somebody, his father or mother or, or both. But he would live. Yeah. Yeah, I'd get him to a hospital in time, and someday, well, someday he'd know what I'd done for him. Nice dream, and then the half hour was up. Joe! I'm over here, Harry. You notice the sky? It's clouding up. Yeah, I notice it's gonna rain. We're leaving, Joe. Well, go ahead. You're coming with us. We can't let you stay, Joe. They'll be here in the morning. 
You'll tell them where we've gone. Now, you know me better than that, Harry. Sure. Not even if they promise you a pardon, huh? I'm not going with you, Harry. Now, you and Fats can... Where's Fats? Where is he, Harry? Fats? Fats? Hey, Joe, come on. Fats! He's doing it for you, Joe. For you. Fats. What did you do to the kid? Now, Joe. Joe, I didn't do nothing to him. Harry told me to, but I didn't. I... Oh, no, don't hit me, Joe. Please don't. I... No, That's don't. enough, Joe. Cut it out. <laughs> you, you put him up to killing the kid, huh, Harry? It's for your own good, Joe. For our good. We got to stick together. No. Not now. Not after this. You got a choice? I think so. Against this shotgun. It's clouding up outside, Harry. You can't make Lakeland without stars or without a compass. Huh? Where's it at? What'd you do with it? Uh-uh. No soap, Harry. You want that compass? You give me the shotgun. You hit it while you were outside just now. That's right, Harry. Tie him up, Harry. We can make him tell us where it is. You want to try, fat boy? You go ahead. Well, go on. You got all night. No, you know we haven't. Okay, Joe. You win. Oh, Harry. Shut up. All right, Harry, break the shotgun. Come on. Give me the barrels and I'll go get you the compass. They left a few minutes later. I didn't bother to wish him luck because I knew it wouldn't do any good. I put another blanket over the boy and went outside. It was just beginning to rain when I picked up the axe and started chopping away at one of the giant cypress trees. Might take all night. But tomorrow... That helicopter had a place to land. And I heard it. Like a ghost coming in from the gulf. Heading across the Everglades toward Miami. People in Lakeland had heard about six minutes. Other people, too, clear across the state. And it was gone. For a moment, it was a real quiet night. Only for a moment. Suspense, in which Stacy Harris starred in tonight's presentation of Quiet Night. Suspense is produced and directed in Hollywood by Anthony Ellis. Tonight's script was written by Charles B. Smith. The music was composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Featured in the cast were Helen Klebe, Herb Butterfield, Charlotte Lawrence, Tony Barrett, William Forrester, Joseph Kearns, Joe Duval, and George Walsh.
are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1956 episode of Suspense called Quiet Night. Day and the Modern Airs from 1947. It's a quiet town. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of around the world staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you and see you next week. to crooners, from the streets of New Orleans to the clubs of Paris, with a little Latin added for spice, Jazz Potpourri is an auditory mix for your listening pleasure. Join me Wednesdays and Saturdays on 93.3 FM, WSHD LP.
Eastport. I'm all about that bass. Hey, have I got a radio show for you. Old Coasting comes at you twice a week. Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4, right here on WSHDLP in Eastport, Maine, 93.3 FM. On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music, uh, we like to talk about it a little bit, too. It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. Your kids can ask your parents what that means. Every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, dig this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. Listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you missed the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz, but by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP Eastport. 